Hello, and welcome to the Who's in Charge podcast, seeking out a Canadian leadership style by diving into difficult moments. I'm your host, Conway Huey. Remember to visit the podcast website at conwayhuey.ca for other episodes. Today, I met up with an old civilian boss of mine, Trent Punnett, to talk about his long career in managerial and executive roles to see what you and I can learn. I'm interested to get his civilian perspective to contrast the government, paramilitary and military perspectives that we've seen on the show. Trent has been a C-level executive, a vice president of sales, and has a long background in product management. So along the theme of this podcast, uh, another lesson I learned and am warning you about is not to record anywhere even remotely close to an appliance. In this case, there's a refrigerator I couldn't turn off in the next room. There's also some people doing construction outside the window. I hope it isn't too distracting. And lesson learned, I'll work on better studio locations in the future. Anyways, here is Trent and I in the not-so-quiet room. And it's a beautiful sunny day here in Vancouver. It is for a change. What I'm trying to do with this podcast is show kind of the next generation of leaders what maybe a more Canadian style of leadership is like, a bit sure. more humble. And to do that, I asked my guests uh, for times where things were not easy, where times when things didn't go so well uh, but even you know times that things did go well right but you know you learned a lesson from it well i think i've got an interesting one for you a bunch of lessons and what at first might seem as a big success but as it'll come to in the end actually a big failure if you look at it in a particular way so should be a little interesting yeah please so it goes back to the early days of cellular technology and cellular networks and wireless data. So I'm talking uh, the early 90s, probably about 1993-94 is when it all started mm -hmm. for us. And I was working with a division of Motorola in Richmond, Mo Motorola Wireless Data. Okay. And that was uh, an acquisition that they'd done of Mobile Data International. And so this was a period of time when wireless data meant pagers yeah right and there was no wireless data on phones that really hadn't happened yet and most of the cellular networks were still analog mm -hmm. they were not digital networks so it was kind of predating all of that and we uh, really didn't have a lot of um, contact with Motorola in the states but one of their biggest customers Sprint Cellular wanted to go and put down a data network. And so Motorola Cellular didn't have that type of solution yet. And so they gave us the heads up that we were going to get the request for a proposal. And so, you know, this is a small division in Motorola land. You know, I think we had working on infrastructure maybe about 250 people. Yeah. Which is not a lot when you're talking about that type of technology and, and its early emergence. And so we got this RFP, and um, I mean, we'd never seen anything like it before. 
you know, the level of detail uh, that they required across all aspects of us integrating into their cellular network was stunning to all of us. My role was I was the director of infrastructure sales okay. for that division. And so I led the team to go and respond to the RFP and do the live interaction with the evaluation team from Sprint. And so the RFP response, just the written response by the time we were done, probably was a series of three ring binders that about would take up about two meters in length. Yeah. Just a huge amount of, you just know. Just a whole table full of just giant binders. Of yeah, you know, and, and, and that, you know, of course doesn't happen overnight. You know, the total sales cycle for, for this one was maybe about a year and a half in total. Mm -hmm. to go and do that level of documentation. And they were very careful. Their evaluation team had about, I would say, about 26, 27 people on it. Wow. You know, what do you do? I mean, <laughs> we'd never gone through anything like that before. And the evaluation team set out from Sprint, set out a schedule that was about, in total, about nine months of interviews that they did on site and meetings. And so we got this huge schedule, and then it was like, okay, how do you start to prepare? A lot of these guys had never talked to customers before and everything like that. And so we realized fairly early on that if we tried to do it real time, you know, first go face-to-face, -face, it was probably not going to work mm -hmm. out that well. And so we got into a pattern of rehearsal. And we would, because we knew the schedule of when they were coming and what topics they wanted to cover, we would rehearse. And okay. we would rehearse. I didn't do the, all the presentations. I mean, that would be impossible yeah. with the level of technical detail that they required. So it was a lot of the engineering leads that would do those presentations. And so we rehearsed. And we rehearsed in the building and in the room that we knew we were going to use when they were when the sprint evaluation team was there. And we would rehearse three, four, five times for every meeting. Wow. Right? And these were like all-day meetings. And so the level of investment just to rehearse was huge. And it paid off. I mean, you know, we got to the point where we could actually smoothly react to questions that they would have. And my whole role in it, aside from coaching the team um, and getting them uh, aligned on what I would call a common goal, mm -hmm. was to anticipate. I was the individual who had the most carrier experience. Yeah. And so my role was to anticipate and to anticipate what sort of questions would come. And then we would have a lot of discussion about how to answer those types of questions. My role was to do what ifs. Okay, what if they ask this question? Mm -hmm. What if they ask this? What if they go down that rat hole? What if they go down this rat hole? What if they take exceptions to this? Contingencies. You know, all yeah. of those sorts of things, right? And we just did that relentlessly. And then when we had our very first meeting, it went so smoothly, everybody was stunned. And I think the sprint team was a little shocked <laughs> that it went so well. And then that cadence kind of kept up for the nine months that we went through that complete evaluation and um, 
It was quite amazing. I was I was shocked uh, in some ways and not in others. But you know the the whole takeaway for me was you know making sure that the team and on our side we had a, a huge number of people involved, of course. You know to respond to that RFP and all that that evaluation cycle. Um, was making sure that everybody was really aligned on what we were trying to do. And it wasn't so much selling a system. We had to be aligned on the amount of effort and the communication and the script that we were mm -hmm. creating to go and do all of that. And the selling of the system would be the outcome so it was a bit of a different mindset that we weren't really in sales mode. You know, when we met with the sprint team, we weren't trying to convince them or, um, you know, sell them. What we were doing was explaining mm -hmm. and really taking the time to educate them because a lot of the team on their side, well, they're very experienced and smart individuals, had never had any experience with wireless data and right. packet switching. And so we really, we focused on the relationship and the partnership with that customer and really trying to make sure that they made a good decision. And so when, when it all came to um, a head was when the lead on the sprint side, uh, and I won't say his name, good guy, we had a good friendship, he and I, and, and a good relationship. But he decided that he was going to hedge his bets. And so he said to me privately before he told his management that he was going to split the award between us and AT&T. And so Motorola, the big Motorola, had Sprint's infrastructure for the cellular network. And all, all of it? All of it. Okay. And so when you think about the ramifications of that, you know, for Motorola, big Motorola, it was huge. All of a sudden, you've got a, you know, a real capable competitor in that network. And so I thought, you know, uh, we can't let that happen. So I gave the senior vice president of big Motorola, who was responsible for Sprint, uh, the heads up. And he and I went and called on the CEO of Sprint. And this was timing-wise was about maybe a day after the Sprint lead had made the recommendation to the senior management team at Sprint. So the CEO knew that his team was recommending uh, splitting yeah. the award. And we went and called on him and we said, you know, that would be a huge mistake for you because of these reasons. And then we went home. And I got a call, well, it was maybe about two or three days later from the sprint lead who was incredibly upset mm. with me that I had basically, you know, done an end run around him yeah. to his CEO directly, not involved him in the conversation at all. And I did that on purpose, you know, um, at some point, you know, you have to decide that ultimately you do have an objective that you're going to reach or not. And if I had involved him in that conversation, we might not have reached it. You know, so I kind of burnt a bridge there. He eventually came back around and uh, 
we renewed our relationship about six months later. Yeah. <laughs> you know, things got back on a normal track. But that was a, a very uh, traumatic period, you know, because you don't know how a company's going to react. And, you know, he was a very influential, the sprint lead on mm -hmm. the evaluation team was a very in influential individual in sprint. And it still could have gone, you know, the wrong way. But I think his CEO uh, was a very astute person and saw the bigger picture and what it might mean and was looking down the road a fair amount as well and realized that, you know, yeah, they just needed one vendor, right? And so there were a, a couple of, you know, big takeaways um, for me in that whole loop. Uh, one of them is, you know, don't make any assumptions about whether people are going to perform well or not. You know, and, and I think if I had assumed that people would perform well, especially on the presentation side, you know, when we were being evaluated, I think it would have been a huge disaster. Okay. You know, and, and some of the team on our side were natural presenters mm -hmm. and some were not. You mm -hmm. know, they needed practice. They needed rehearsal. And that's why we got into that whole cadence of doing that. You know, and, and the lesson for me was, you know, um, aside from don't make those assumptions about how people are going to perform, um, make sure that people have practice. And so it was that type of takeaway for me, you know, later on in life that I think really helped me as a manager and, and, as, a, and as a leader of, of teams. And, and that was a huge, um, uh, a huge lesson for me. You know, that you really have to have people practice and, and prepare. Be prepared. Right. Yeah. And if you're not prepared, you're likely going to fail. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and preparation, you know, it means all sorts of different things depending on the circumstance you're in. But the result is typically that you can react smoothly to unexpected circumstances, that you can manage your outcome to the best outcome that's possible, because you have prepared, you have anticipated, and all those sorts of things, right? And uh, it was a big lesson for me on that. And Sprint actually turned out to be a really good customer. We did a nationwide deployment for them. And on the basis of that performance, uh, won a whole bunch of other customers yeah. around the world. Yeah. And you think a lot of that had to do with presenting well to begin with? Well, preparing, and you know, really um, thinking about what was going to happen. Mm -hmm. You know, and we would talk about individuals on the evaluation, the sprint evaluation team in detail, you know, and we actually did, you know, personal maps of each individual of where they were leaning, what types of questions they'd asked yeah. before, what their interests were technically, you know, all of those sorts of things, right? Just went into a, a huge amount of detail to manage the outcome and anticipate as best we could, you know, so when their network management lead, you know, stood up and would say, you know, well, what about this? Mm -hmm. We usually had already anticipated that yeah. question, yeah. you know, because or if you knew, hadn't, yeah, or knew the direction that that, that individual was yeah. going to take, you know, that day with that topic, because their past history kind of looked like this. You know, and so just a huge amount of detail. And, and for me, it was probably the most detailed and longest sales cycle that I'd ever gone through, mm -hmm. you know. And um, the level of planning, you know, I mean, we didn't want anybody falling asleep after lunch. And so, you know, we had catered lunches, of course. We didn't have a cafeteria there. 
and all of those catered lunches were high protein complex yeah. carbs no pasta salad <laughs> no sandwiches or anything like that you know so people would stay awake because half the battle is keeping people's attention yeah, keep them engaged right keep them engaged both on your side and on their mm -hmm. side and you know just the level of you know that's the level of detail that we yeah. went through to uh to manage the outcome as best we could Right. So that's the side that went well, is you prepared, you planned Yeah, so well. the, that's the side that went well. I think, you know, the contract for us um, was about $70 million in total. Mm -hmm. So that went well. And so, you know, I'll come back to that anticipation um, comment. And I view it as a failure for me because what I didn't anticipate was the other player in mm -hmm. the Sprint system, which was big Motorola and Motorola cellular infrastructure. You know, that, that's a sector in Motorola, or was at that time, and it was a $20 billion revenue sector. But I think if we had integrated with Motorola cellular earlier... Okay, then you made I, that part of the presentation. Well, I don't think or? even part of the presentation. I, I, I think that if we had taken the same approach of educating and being a resource for them, mm -hmm. Motorola Cellular, they would have viewed that division as a different type of asset that they needed to bring into the fold. Okay. Because it wasn't part of Motorola Cellular at the time. It was part of the paging sector. Okay. Right, where that's where we landed. And so, you know, was it well-known Motorola trait of the time was each of those sectors was like a warring tribe. Mm. And so we were part of the paging sector and cellular was the cellular yeah. infrastructure sector. So they were like two warring tribes. Yeah. So I think of if I had anticipated, you know, kind of and thought a little bit farther ahead, you know, I kind of, the way I think of it these days is, you know, always ask yourself, what's your anticipation horizon? Yeah. You know, is your anticipation horizon five minutes, a day, a week, a month, a year, three years, five, five years, right? Yeah. And you have to ask that question of what horizon is relevant and play the what if on those horizons as well. You know, okay, let's go and say my anticipation horizon mm -hmm. is five years now. So what could happen if I start to think five years out? You know, with all the players that are involved, yeah. or all the things that we have to interact with, and that sort of stuff, and bounce yourself back and forth across those different horizons constantly. You know, don't just assume that your horizon is always one month or a week or a year. Yeah. You know, you have Thinking to go too on, short term. Yeah, you have to yeah. go back and forth. You know, yeah. and ask yourself questions and mm -hmm. and play the what if game and everything like that. And I think if I had done that, I wasn't experienced enough back then um, to do it, to realize I needed to do that. But if I had done that back then, I probably would have caught that we needed to spend more time with Motorola Cellular. Yeah. Because paging networks are going to go away, <laughs> right? And they, for the most part, have. But Cellular is still with us, you yeah. know, and... and Switching that anticipation horizon and asking questions probably would have caught that, you know, and so that's why I think of it as my biggest failure. Mm. Didn't do that, wasn't experienced enough to do that, and it eventually led, I, I believe, to the death of that division, of that division. Right, in yeah. Richmond here in, yeah. in Vancouver. So, so that's kind of 
you know, the failure part, you know, some of the other realizations that, that happened as we went through that whole cycle was if you don't have the right team members on board, mm-hmm. um, or if you have a disruptive team member, and I'd, you need to take early steps to move them out. And I had two individuals where, you know, through probably the front third of the, of the cycle, they weren't putting in the time because it was a huge amount of time mm-hmm. that everybody had to invest. I mean, yeah. we were talking, you know, 65, 70 hour weeks, you know, in on the weekends, everything Jeez. like that. I mean, where do you find the time to rehearse? Yeah. Right. We would spend uh, typically the weekends rehearsing, Wow. you know, and doing that. And, and if you don't have people who are willing to do that, well, you can accommodate to a certain extent, but um, ultimately, if you want to have your, you know, the team um, integrity stay in place, you have to cut them loose, mm-hmm. you know, and at least I believe that. And so that's what I did with those two individuals. I, you know, I should have done it a lot sooner. Mm-hmm. You know, I did it after about a third of the cycle was done, and it was the best thing. You know, all of a sudden we didn't have, you know, people looking at other individuals going, you know, how come you're not putting in the time or why am I putting in this amount of time when you're not, you know, why, you know, all those sorts of things, right? You know, how come you can follow that particular script and, and kind of say what you think you need to say rather than what we've all agreed Mm -hmm. we're going to do. And, and, um, that was a big takeaway for me as well, you know, and so later on in, in my management and I guess leadership career, I would make those decisions much earlier, yeah. you know, than I did back then, you know, and, and, uh, you gotta be really cut and dried about it. You know, you just can't go and play to personalities and all that sort of thing. And, you know, the two individuals that, you know, we eventually moved off, um, they were good friends, you know, good coworkers, you know, for the most part and everything like that, all friendly and everything, but that doesn't mean anything, you know, at the end of the day, when you're, when you're trying to reach a outcome yeah the team has a goal right and an objective you know one of those individuals was um a good solid uh, very intelligent engineering lead for uh, aspect of the system the billing aspect um but for whatever reason uh they thought that they had to sell you know Mm. we had agreed really early on as a as an entire team that we were not going to sell we were going to mm-hmm. educate. We were going to build relationships. We were going to transfer knowledge so that that sprint team, again, could make a good decision, yeah. right? Be as informed as possible when they made their decision. And that individual uh, on our side, he uh, he did not want to follow that mm. script. Okay. You know, so there was a lot of selling and obvious selling and things like that, you know, um, through the front third of, yeah. you know, and it was always trying to correct, you know, <laughs> don't do that. You know, we agreed we weren't going to, you know, take that aspect of, you know, this process. And it was just a struggle. And, uh, you know, that was the main reason why that individual got moved off. Yeah. I, um, I want to go back to your point of the division closing down. And, yeah. and in my mind, I think a lot of people would just have let that go and said, you know what, that happened because it happened. And, and put it to other external factors but 
taking kind of a bit of ownership on that, I think is uh, is another good leadership lesson. Saying, you know, what could I have done differently? What could I have learned? Yeah, that you know, might have changed the outcome. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there was be no guarantee for mm-hmm. you know a different outcome, but I think it would have helped immensely. Yeah, you know, and uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you never know which way a big corporation is going to go. No. But if we had taken the time like we did with Sprint, if we had taken that same amount of time and that approach with Motorola Cellular, that a different sector again, a different warring mm-hmm. tribe, you know, maybe the outcome would have been different. Maybe they would have said, you know, hey, those are really good, smart people up there. They've got, you know, great technology. We need to take that and bring them into our fold. Yeah. Right. And incorporate them them into this sector and um, maybe it would have helped I think it's a good lesson for any kind of technology sector in general is you don't you got to look ahead and anticipate what might happen next you know your technology might not last forever yeah regardless yeah exactly kind of the definition of technology exactly it's going to shift right you can be guaranteed of that yeah you know and and that comes back to the anticipation side of it again right you know, and, and, you know, coming back to that comment of, you know, viewing it as a failure, if I had sat back, you know, I would sit in my office and people would, you know, literally with my feet up on the table with a notepad and think mm-hmm. about what was going to happen, you know, and, and, and spend hours doing that. Yeah, I, I think that's an important aspect a lot of businesses miss is that forward planning, future yeah. planning. Yeah, and just sitting, cutting time to sit back and think, right, and think things through. And if I had turned my attention a little differently and thought about that other sector, Motorola mm-hmm. Cellular, and how technology was kind of shifting, because we could see it, yeah, right? If you really stood back, you know, from enough distance, you could see it, you know, if you thought about it. And I completely missed that. You know. I think it's hard at the time, easy with hindsight. It is, you know, but that comes back to getting in the habit of switching your anticipation mm-hmm. horizon. Yeah. Right? And and not just thinking a year ahead, but thinking five years mm-hmm. ahead and sometimes even ten years yeah. ahead. And if you practice that, then I think you can catch those things, right? And you can... Um, anticipate them and deal mm-hmm. with them a little bit more smoothly you know and and that's what you know didn't happen right yeah well i think that's a good it's a good story yeah and it's yeah a, it was a good in, lesson i look back at it and I, it was probably the one of the more thrilling things i did you know there's nothing like going through that level of effort and having um at least a good short-term outcome yeah. right dealing with difficult people like you said is is always a good good topic yeah, and there, there was one that was relatively recent. There was an individual that I brought in from outside and brought that individual in to do um, a certain role. Yeah. And that individual did that role very well for the first year and then for whatever reason kind of went sideways. Mm. Started to do other people's work for them, yeah. not really focus on their own role not really focus on you know what we were trying to accomplish and spent a lot of time trying to get that individual reorientated back to where they should be yeah you know and it comes back to that 
comment earlier of, you know, how much time do you want to spend doing that? Because it's not just the individual that you're talking about. It's the individual and the team that Mm -hmm. they're involved with. The other people that they're involved with within the organization, all of those things, you know, it's like a ripple effect of throwing a stone into a pond, you know, so how much time and how much effort do you want to spend with that? Right. At what point do you make the call that, no, that's not the right individual anymore? Because that individual is impacting the entire team mm-hmm. in one way or another, right? And so I think, you know, a big part of leadership is to recognize those sorts of situations as early as you can. And it doesn't mean that you write individuals off immediately. Yeah, you shouldn't make like a brash decision. Either. Yeah, you shouldn't make a rash decision or anything like that. But, you know, if you go through a fair amount of invested time and effort with that individual um, and work with them, and you're still not getting, you know, the outcome you're looking yeah. for, you have to make a decision. Yeah, no, I, I think that's that's some something I have from on the military side that I think is a, is a lesson and a good process that I've taken away is there's always, there needs to be an escalation. The process asks for an escalation. Um, but many times you'll find either others, they want to, they want people gone quickly yeah. because they think they don't fit. Yeah. But the, the evidence and the escalation doesn't really support that kind of a, a quick yeah. decision. So, so you really have to build it up and have good case and had tried. Absolutely, you know, and and I said earlier on in this conversation, you know, right at the start almost, that you know one of the big things is to don't assume an individual's capabilities. You know, so coming back to this particular mm-hmm. individual, I had forgotten that lesson. Mm. And I had assumed they had a capability, and in reality, they didn't. Mm -hmm. And so it was a failure on my part, right? And I probably could have mitigated a large part of what we went through, both that individual and myself, if I had understood that I had made that assumption. Now, was that made during the hiring process or during early development? You know, I, I, that particular individual had worked with me uh, in a previous life and had done a very good job okay. back then. And, um, but never really had done an aspect of what I needed them to do in okay. this role. I, that was the assumption that mm-hmm. I made, right? You know, I had assumed that, you know, this was not an inexperienced individual. They had been around the block, and I shouldn't have made that assumption. Yeah. And that was the failure on my part. And again, if I had realized that, that I'd made that assumption and, and that individual is not capable of yeah. doing that, then that probably would have mitigated a lot of what we both went through. I mean, I don't think that's uncommon. You know, poor hiring decisions, it's very common. Yeah, but the yeah. question is, you know, how how do you mitigate that? How do you catch that kind of assumption and and screen it out before it's too late? Well, you know, I think as as a manager and and somebody who provides leadership, 
um, you have to always ask yourself, you know, is that individual or that team or that group, are they capable of being contributing members to your business, you know, your group, your team, whatever, yeah. right? Yeah. And what assumptions you're making is you kind of go into that with them or with that team or with that group and just question that all the time right are they successful you know are they contributing did i make an assumption that is stopping that do they have skills or expertise mm -hmm. that they need you know to be successful you know and and i kind of learned later on that the 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 team and the individuals on that team probably would take up easily 75% of my time and effort mm. as a leader easily not 10% or 5% yeah. or 15% yeah. that if you want to have a successful team mm -hmm. you have to be working with that team and thinking about individuals and constantly asking yourself all those sorts of questions and coaching and helping and everything like that easily would be 75% of the effort as a leader. Easy. Maybe even more at some points. Yeah. You know, and it's the hardest part, right? Nobody wants to do that sort of stuff. You know, it's a level of engagement with people that is tough to make. Yeah. You know? I, I mean, it's a, it's a theme that comes up in, in these chats that I have is, yeah. uh, is if everything works perfectly... Yeah. You shouldn't even need a leader. It's when things go wrong or people need coaching, need some help, things need to be put the right back on the right path. And that that does take up most of the time. Well, even even with that, you know, coming back to that comment of anticipation and practice, right? If you can generate a a culture within a team of anticipation mm -hmm. and practice then even when things go wrong they can self-correct yeah yeah right if they're prepared if they have the tools and everything like that and if they're they have anticipated if it's not all of a sudden a totally new situation flying in from left field they can usually smoothly react and come through yeah. successfully i think that's a great point because a lot of times i've seen leaders think that they've got to go in and solve all the problems right and if they do that they'll just drown in all the problems because yeah. their people mm -hmm. will never develop the skills to do exactly exactly yeah. you know your role is not to go and you know be the ultimate decider yeah right and the ultimate fixer you know if you if you haven't you know built that capability in, into your team i think you've failed as a leader yeah you know you can't go and say that you know the the buck stops here because that's you know it's not going to work <laughs> these days they, and things are too complex you know environments are too complex things change too quickly and everything like that your team has to be able to self-react and self-guide and anticipate and all of those sorts of things and that's why i think as a good manager and as a good leader that's a huge part of your role is to coach that and to build that sort of culture and to look at individuals, whether they're capable of doing that or not. Right. And, and, you know, when I say coaching and observing and working with your team, sometimes it's just as simple as observing, you know, and asking yourself, you know, some questions, 
And if I had, you know, coming back to that individual we were talking about, when that individual started doing other people's work, Mm -hmm. you know, probably what I should have done is ask myself, why are they doing that? And ask that individual, why are they doing it? And I probably would have learned, I think, looking back at it now with, you know, 2020 vision, I probably would have learned that they were doing that so they felt like they were contributing. Mm-hmm. Because what I was asking them to do, they were not capable of doing. Mm. You know, or not capable of doing to the level of my expectation. And so they felt a need to find some other way to contribute, right? To add worth. And I probably would have learned that. It would have taken my discussion and my questions and things like that in a completely different track if I had asked that question. Why are they doing that? Yeah. Yeah, that's another good leadership lesson, right? Like I see people get sucked in to the weeds and uh, you don't have to... Well, you pull them out and show them the right way, but you don't have to tell them exactly what to do. Right. You just got to give them a, hey, you, that's this person's job. Why don't you focus on this instead? Yeah. Yeah. Or why do you feel the need to go and do that person's yeah, job? Exactly. That too. You right? know, why are you yeah. doing that instead of what you're actually getting mm-hmm. paid for? <laughs> yeah. And listening to them. Yeah. yeah. That's good stuff. Yeah. We had uh, a story I like to tell is, is another one of our my colleagues here, we were just standing around one day watching the things happen and we we're looking at each other going, we both seem to be standing around with nothing to do. And that's probably a good thing. Right. Because if we were busy, that means things were not going well. Right. Or people were not uh, were not performing well, doing right. properly. Right. Yeah. Yeah, you know, as a as a good leader and as a good manager, it's your role is to think, you know, not so much to do, yeah. right? And if you don't, you know, coming back to that earlier comment, if you're not cutting time to think, then you're definitely going to miss stuff. And, you know, thinking is hard work. It's easy to get involved in what's going on all around you, yeah. you know, as it all happens real time and everything like that. And boom, all of a sudden your day, your week, your month has gone by. And you haven't really thought about anything, right? You've been thinking about the job you're doing and doing that well. But, you know, coming back to that comment of your anticipation horizon and, you know, asking what ifs and all those sorts of things and standing back and really getting a broader perspective, you haven't really done any of that thinking. You know, you've missed it completely for a period of time. And, um, you know, making sure that you can get your team to a point where you have that time to do that. I think as a as a manager, a good manager, and if you want to be a good leader, is absolutely critical. Yeah, right. I do. I absolutely, I try to carve out time each week just to think of the team yeah. and, and looking forward because, you know, for what I do, which is we just basically solve technical problems. That's easy Yeah. to dig into the details, solve the technical problem, but as the leader of that kind of team of people, being able to sit back and say, how can they 
have less problems to solve? Or how can some of these problems be a little easier right. to solve so they don't have to be doing the same thing yeah. over or and over could again? Could we do something a little right. different so yeah. that we don't have those problems at all? Yeah. You know, all of yeah. that sort of that sort of thing, yeah. Yeah, but if nobody takes the time to do that, then the team just gets stuck in yeah. that rut forever. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Kind of another goal with this podcast is is building a leadership I want to call it a culture, a mindset, yeah. because so much of what was out there when I went and looked is skills training. Mm-hmm. It's like how to give a presentation or what do you do when when you hire somebody new or something like that. Right? Yeah. It's so so focused on that sort of leadership is a skill when I think of it more of an art or even a culture. Well, you know, um, I'm going to go and give everybody a very valuable tool. Sure. There's a guy uh, who used to be a CSIS analyst. His name's Shane. He um, has this website called Farnham Street. Okay. What Shane believes is... If you really want to be a good leader and a really good contributor to whatever society you're in, yeah, you have to have experiences and skill sets and things like that that are specific to it. But what's probably more valuable than anything is how you think and the tools that you have so you can think well. And so he's spent a large amount of time cataloging mental models. Mm And how you go about thinking and structuring your thinking and making decisions and all of that. Yeah. And he actually has three books out just on mental models mm-hmm. and very broad in scope across all aspects of our society. If I kind of stand back and, and think, you know, what is more important as a manager and a leader today is really helping people how to think. Making sure they have the models and the approach and the tools so that they can go and figure it out, Mm -hmm. right? And figure it out well. And make those right decisions. Right. And and so as a manager and a leader, I think more than anything today, it's helping people build those tools and having those tools available to them about how to think is more valuable than anything, yeah. right? And if I had to stand back and, you know, go back 20 years as a manager with that type of insight, um, it's probably where I would be spending most of my time mm-hmm. with with team members and with teams. Right. But those mental models don't get built overnight. No. Or even in like a five-day week of leadership retreat training. No, they don't. They don't. Yeah. You know, but... Somebody, this guy in particular, has gone out and categorized mm-hmm. them, right? Yeah. And it's a start. Yeah. Right. And you can pick and choose. And, you know, you're always going to be building your own mental model for the environment that you're in. But helping people with a structured starting point or starting points is, I think, a way to kind of make that happen a lot earlier, yeah. right? think that it um it reminds me of something the padre said when i talked to him he said we're kind of the decisions we make and maybe some of the ways we are based on the the experiences that we've had and right. the things that we've been exposed to right and i think that all builds into that mental model mm-hmm. right. and how you make decisions right 
and I think leaders need to make good judgment decisions, and that doesn't happen in you know two days of PowerPoint. <laughs> yeah, no, it doesn't. That's what I'm trying to do here too, right? Give people something to listen to that might help build their mental model and their decision-making uh, yeah. experience based on others' experiences. Well, thank you for coming all the way out here. And no problem. Happy to do it. Hopefully that has uh, a bit of value to whoever's oh, going to go and listen to it. <laughs> there's, there's a lot of good, good lessons in there. Some good chat at the end, too. Well, I appreciate the opportunity. So, uh, and I appreciate you uh, encouraging me to do this way back when we last met. Yeah. And it kind of went from there, this little idea, into this big, big thing, and now it's actually happening. So good. Thank you for that. Good. Good. Happy. So sometimes in these podcast recordings, I, I kind of surprise myself. I get a little shocked at how much my guests suddenly open up and admit things I never thought that they would. You'll see this as I go kind of quieter and quieter with some guests than others. And this is one of them where I was like, wow, he you really did share that big failure. And I don't really know what to say to that. But how many times did we hear the word anticipation? Or I like to say contingency planning, or forward thinking, or just thinking. I think the lesson here is being the leader isn't just setting the big hand-waving direction, but also thinking ahead and right down into the details too. It's a dichotomy, as others have called it. Do you keep in touch with your old bosses? If so, why? Let me know. This has been the Who's in Charge podcast with me, Conway Huey. Be sure to visit the website, conwayhuey.ca, to find show notes and more about me. Connect with me via the website or LinkedIn. And thanks again for listening. Remember to rate this on Apple Podcasts and subscribe on your favorite podcast service. <laughs>